symmetrical Georgian house set in Parkland, from an uncle by marriage, Thomas Freeman. The Mitford girls were sometimes given the surname Freeman Mitford. There was a dearth of contiguous heirs in the family. Bertram Mitford, the sister's grandfather, acquired Batsford as a cousin twice removed. He did not inherit the title, although it was recreated for him in 1902. He was a remarkable man, more so really than the son, David, who was immortalised in the pursuit of love. Bertie Mitford had all the masculine energy of Uncle Matthew, and none of his lurking timidity. Uncle Matthew hates leaving his home. He was one of those vigorous Victorian types who go at life like a steam engine, running out of puff only when they die. Certain traits of the Mitford sisters can be perceived in him. Good looks, a sophisticated morality, a knack for writing what people wanted to read, and a deep affinity with Germany. Born in 1837, he attended Eton and Christchurch before joining the Foreign Office, where he was posted to the embassies at St. Petersburg, Peking, and Tokyo. He spoke French, Russian, Chinese, and German, translated Kant and Japanese literature. Again, this talent was inherited. His son David had perfect French. Unity picked up German very quickly in order to chat to the Nazi high command, and Nancy and Diana both became translators. As a writer, Bertie had a less singular gift than Nancy. The Mitfordian clarity of his prose is muffled by the near-inescapable rotundity of the age. Nevertheless, his Tales of Old Japan was a raging success. He had been invited to watch the last officially decreed death by Harakiri, and his account was described by a reviewer as one of the most horrific and unforgettable pieces of prose I have ever read. He also wrote a book about his time in China, an attaché in Peking. Many years later, one of Diana's sons found the unexpurgated Peking diary full of dread sex. An autobiography, Memories, was published not long before his death, in 1916. It was a book of the year, just as Nancy's later works usually were, and a reviewer remarked that it was loosely constructed, but contains not a word of twaddle, the sort of thing that was customarily said about Nancy. In 1874, Bertie was appointed by Disraeli to the post of Secretary of His Majesty's Office of Works. He worked on improvements to Hampton Court and supervised the restoration of the Chapel of St. Peter ad Vincula at the Tower of London, where the remains of Anne Boleyn were interred. Almost in passing, he became MP for Stratford-on-Avon. He knew Dickens, Whistler, Browning, and as a close friend of the future King Edward VII, he advised on the gardens at Buckingham Palace. Described by his granddaughter Deborah, after a dinner with the Queen in 1961, as a literal vasty park inhabited by field mice. On his own land at Batsford, where he moved in 1886, he grew bamboo and created a magnificent arboretum. He also spent fortunes on demolishing the old house, 
and raising up the fairy tale castle of rich, dull gold, a successful Victorian's dream home, that today stands fantastical against the Cotswold sky. It was said of him that he has been everywhere and seen everything. He was literally a man of the world, although there is the faintest sense of a Victorian gentleman doing the grand tour. Not of great cultural works, but of great experiences, such as meeting Garibaldi or hunting buffalo. As for his German friendships, what blend of naivety and empathy drew him to Houston Stuart Chamberlain, the son-in-law of Richard Wagner, and an intellectual influence upon Hitler? As a lover of music, it was natural that Bertie should attend the Bayreuth Festival and take pleasure in the company of the Wagner family. He became extremely close to...